0: Through this revelation of hope seminar let's pray father in heaven this morning we're asking for your anointing as we worship you you speak to us in so many ways in nature through your word by your spirit we pray that you would do so this morning as we turn our hearts and minds toward you in jesus name amen By the way, if you're looking for a brochure, there's one outside every door as you exit in the little uh, plexiglass holders. My father-in-law's first pastoral assignment in the United States was in Westchester, Pennsylvania. They moved from Egypt when my wife was just young. And up to that time, the only thing the family had really known was the hot middle east that was their only map while in pennsylvania the family became us citizens after a few years there i think it was 8 or so wadia received a phone call from the president of the alberta conference of seventh avenues and i can't help but chuckle every time dola My mother-in-law tells me this story. She reminded me of it again this week when she saw the winter snows here in Walla Walla and said, this is nothing. (laughs) Have you ever been to Alberta? Have you ever been to Lacombe? Wadia Awafia's father was invited to become the lead pastor at the Canadian Union College Church. And uh, they had never been to Canada. And they had surely heard about CUC, but they really knew nothing about it. And they had no idea of what winters were like in Alberta. (laughs) It begins in November and ends in April. (laughs) And it's measured in sub-zero temperatures for weeks on end. Now, Wadia knew how to preach, and he was a good pastor, but he had no idea whatsoever what life would be like in Alberta. We're midstream here in our study of the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been doing it for a few weeks now, and um, we've been probing Paul's words to the church in Corinth, and we've seen the good news that God has for Corinth and for us. Good news of hope in Jesus Christ. Good news of salvation through what he's done for us. Last Sabbath, we were introduced for the first time in, in Paul's writing to the church in Corinth to the Holy Spirit. And this Sabbath, we're going to dive deeper into the Spirit, the Spirit of God. And Paul calls having the spirit of God he calls that having the mind of Christ having the mind of Christ and having this mind as I see it according to Paul brings discovery and discernment to us as his followers as Dola told the story um, while Wadiah conversed with the president of the Alberta conference about the invitation to come to Lacombe to pastor, she asked Dola quietly, get me a map, get me a map, where is Alberta? (laughs) He knew about Canada, but how about Alberta? How about Lacombe? He'd gotten a master's degree here in, in the United States earlier on in life. And he had gotten a Ph.D. while in Pennsylvania. But he had little idea of what awaited him in Lacombe, Alberta. And I kind of feel that way when I read Paul's teaching for the church in Corinth. People were struggling there. They thought they were mature. But they had little idea of what Christian maturity Really was all about. And they had, it was something similar to um, the finer qualities of accumulated snow in the feet and minus 20 degree weather for weeks for those that don't know Alberta weather. Now, Paul had previously admitted that the gospel was. Difficult for people to understand. We talked about that in earlier times together in our studies. He says it was foolishness to the Greeks. To Greek a Greek person, no one would worship, no one could worship someone who was crucified because to be crucified was to be um, a, a sinful and criminal human being. And... The gods had no interaction with humankind. It was humans, our, our responsibility to be in contact with them. God doesn't reach down to save sinful human beings, sinful suffering humans. That's not the Greek idea. It was, it was foolishness to them that the Messiah could have come here to earth and then died on the cross. And Paul also admitted that the gospel was scandalous to the Jews, they couldn't accept it either because the cross was an implement of torture. It was reserved for slaves and for criminals, for revolutionaries. And to speak of the Messiah, the anointed one, as someone who was crucified, that was impossible for the Jews. It was an impossible combination of words Messiah crucified. To be crucified meant that you were under the judgment of Rome, but not just Rome, but also under the judgment of God, condemned by God. Christ meant divine victory. Crucified meant the curse of God and the curse of humans. So to the Jews, it was foolishness and scandalous. But Paul had more to offer than than that about the good news. He also had something to share about wisdom deep, rich, beautiful wisdom, the wisdom of God. And it was only partially appreciated by these people in Corinth. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 6 and 7, but we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Paul is talking about a wisdom that's different than the wisdom that was popular in in Corinth. It's not the kind that was being peddled by sophists and philosophers. The wisdom that Paul had in mind didn't have a place on the streets in Corinth. It was like speaking of the sunrise to someone who had been born blind. Or it was like talking about winter to a a native of the Middle East. There was no computing. There was no understanding. Little did they know that the world had been divided in two when Jesus Christ came. Two ages, two eras, two epochs. There's this age, he talks about that in verse number 6 in chapter 2, this age, the period of history that we inhabit now, here and now, this age, characterized by rebellion and death and despair and ruin, and then there's also the age to come, the time when the one and only true God will rule and reign on earth, over earth, bringing to an end the rule of All the forces that oppose him. There's this age and the age to come. And Paul's point and the one that would be well for us to recognize as we look into these words from Scripture is that the age to come has already broken into the age that we're in today. The age to come has already arrived. Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension, his ministry now in heaven in our age in our time has broken into our day the kingdom come has arrived in a sense as terry coke is has so beautifully masterfully woven together in our worship service through song this morning the melody has shifted on earth and By this kingdom of God coming now today, we have the words of assurance. We have the hope of eternal life. We hear the chords of joy and heaven over the desperate, disparate sounds of loss and pain. The people who conspired together to put Jesus to death, Pilate and Herod, they had no idea. They had no idea whatsoever of what they were really doing. They, they didn't know that they, they were ridding the earth of the God who made it, Jesus Christ in human flesh. They had oh, no idea. They thought they were just getting rid of a, a troublemaker. But if they would have realized, Paul said in, says in these verses, if they would have realized what was really going on, they would never have done what they did. They would never even have dreamed of doing such a thing. If they knew who Jesus really was, they would have respected Him. They would have refused to put him to death. So, this wisdom that, that Paul talks about here in these verses isn't just an intellectual information thing, it's something more than just intellect. It's not just beauty either, it's elegance, it's like a blossoming flower bed soon to be blossoming here in Walla Walla. It's like the mighty flowing of a river that that never ends. It's like the satisfying of the human soul at a level that is beyond even imagining at this moment. That's what God offers us through his wisdom. That's what God has in mind for those of us who love him. And he wants all of us to love him. Now, how, how can we know all those things? How can we know that? Well, Paul tells us in these verses, by his spirit, by God's Spirit, it's the best he could give, it's the most he could give. And so he gave it himself in his spirit, the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 says, These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. His spirit has been given to me, to you, to bring me to faith, to open up my mind to, to his wisdom of the this age to come that has broken into life today. The Spirit of God knows everything about God because he is God. He's not ignorant of anything. He is the designated member of the Godhead, who reveals truth to us who makes truth known to us that's his purpose that's his job and when we willingly submit to god's guidance and illumination the doors of hope and truth and reason and goodness and understanding are open to us by god's spirit that's what he does 1 Corinthians 2.11, For who knows the person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Then get this. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. You know how that goes. A person's thoughts are private. My desires, my intentions, my my. Plans are not known by you unless I tell you. You don't know what I'm thinking. You don't know what I'm planning. Not at all. No other person can know what you're thinking unless you tell them what you're thinking. And that place, that deep inmost place where thoughts and feelings and memory and imagination meet, that's where you really know a person. And Paul says that's what God's Spirit is like. God's Spirit is that. And He's given to us that we might know God, know Him fully, completely. That's what I call discovery. That's what God's plan and purpose is for us through His Spirit. And really, it's an astonishing claim, astonishing. Now, that doesn't mean that we have, since we have the Spirit of God, we have nothing to learn about God, far from it. Why else would Paul be writing letters but to expand knowledge? But it does mean that we have access to the mind of God. That's why Paul calls it, in verse number 16, we have the mind of Christ. That that phrase is almost too much for me to even imagine. You can only know of another as much as they open up to you. And as a member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit doesn't need to search to discover something in order to tell you about that. Something like, as if he didn't know it before, because he knows everything. And it's his work to bring to our experience, to our mind, to our thinking, the mind of God. And to guide us, that we might follow him. That's the Spirit's work. I read an article recently in the Ministry Magazine by a a man by the name of Elias del Souza, and he called the core beliefs of Christianity a dynamic expression of collective wisdom. I kind of like that. Core beliefs. And we are about core beliefs in the Seventh day Adventist Church. We have 28 core beliefs. It's the best biblical understanding of God's love, God's work of salvation, the Christian life, the hope we have in Jesus Christ and and His soon return. And with the Spirit of God as our instructor, He plants that word in our minds in clear statements that we might know Jesus, His will for us, and that is of utmost importance. But Christianity is not just that. Christianity is more than just a set of beliefs. Christianity is more than a rule book of life, as important as that is. And I'm not trying to degradate that at all. But Christianity isn't something that you can master in a weekend, or in two weekends, or, in, or any amount of time. As Timothy Keller says in his book, Christianity is as many-sided as the world itself full of beauty and mystery and power, and as terrifying and as wonderful as God himself. That's why Adventism, the Seventh-day Adventist church, as a denomination has never ascribed to creeds. You know, a creed is an unchangeable, all too soon fossilized expression of religious tradition. That's what a creed is. But creeds are early church founders believed can too easily become barriers to grasping the truths of Scripture and the enlightening that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to us and the clarity and wisdom that He brings. Because God's Spirit is dynamic. God's Word is dynamic. There's always much, 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 much more to learn. To relish. to to delight in. And so that's what Paul is saying here in this section of Scripture. He says, Christianity, knowing God, is something more than internal belief structure. Christianity is even something that goes beyond my personal belief system. Christianity is something that challenges me and challenges my relationship with the world. Christianity challenges the, the social system. It challenges the, the political system. It challenges all these things with the eternal beliefs of truth in God. Jesus' incarnation, Jesus' life for us, His resurrection, His death and resurrection, His ascension, His ministry for us even now changes not only what's going on in my heart, but as I know, I've, I've talked with some of you, it also changes the things that are going on in my actions. It changes how I do life, how I think about life, how I think about what's going on, how I think about what's happening in business, how I think about what's happening in, in science, how I think what, what's happening in politics and government. Christianity impacts that. We must never settle for a gospel that allows the powers of this world to proceed unchallenged. God's kingdom supersedes this world. But while we're here, we're called to be God's salt and God's light. His agents of hope and help and goodness. So that's what Paul at first is is celebrating here in these verses. The fact that the Spirit being poured out on believers brings us discovery, discovery of God's goodness, brings us to faith and an opening of our minds to, to wisdom and, and eternal truths and realities. It's, it's not some kind of a secondary power. It's God's own spirit, God's own person that's come to live, abide in us. And there's this continual living, recreating discovery and also a sense of deep, deep discernment, secondly, that happens. Paul goes on to say that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. What have we received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit taught words. I grew up in the dynamic and turbulent 60s. And some of you know that era personally. It was the hippie era, and street drugs during that time, especially at the beginning of that era, were idolized as expanding and enlightening. That's the way people spoke of them and that lie singed my life and it burned my older brother and sister my mom allowed our family my older brother and sister and their friends to transform our basement into a psychedelic cave (laughs) my sister was really artistic very artistic she painted and her drawings and, and they flowed from her hands and from her heart she and her fra- her friends transformed the basement into psychedelic a psychedelic experience you might say and the images i still they're still in my mind i don't have any photos of them but the images were bizarre and some of them were haunting the beginnings of drug habits and addictions during that era included the illusion that whatever drug was being taken brought brilliance. Some of you know that, that sense, that that belief, that false belief. They thought that drugs, street drugs, enhanced their thoughts and artistic expressions. That's what they thought. The images on the walls in our basement were proof that the opposite was really the case. They may have been good at painting and been good at music when they were sober, but what came from their hands and from their mouth when they were high was embarrassing and disturbing. But you couldn't tell them that. You couldn't tell them that. They couldn't be told otherwise. Drugs enhanced, they were convinced of that. For many of them, for my brother in particular, by the time he realized that drugs were doing the opposite, it was too late. The monkey was on his back, and it took his life by 30. Paul brings his message of wisdom and folly and this in comparison to spiritual maturity and immaturity right down to the believers in Corinth this is where Corinth was you see in Corinth the people believed they imagined that they had a wisdom that that exalted them elevated them above the ordinary that's the way the corinthians thought they were drunk on wisdom They were drunk on human, clever, subtle, intriguing thinking. They were drunk on it. In Corinth, the wise people, the sophists, were rock stars. The good ones could present their philosophical views with such ornamental bravado that they could earn a living um, tickling people's fancies with intellectual ideas. And unfortunately, the church in Corinth imagined that they could combine Christian faith with a strong dose of human wisdom, or sophistry, as it was called. They thought they could do that. And they thought by that combination, they could become some kind of super people. They were wrong. And the more of the drug they took this drug of human wisdom, the more immature they actually became. First Corinthians 2, 13 and 14. This is what we speak, says Paul, not in words taught, by, taught us by human wisdom. See, Paul is comparing here. But in words taught by the Spirit, explain spiritual realities with spiritual taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. See, he's comparing these things but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. You see, when the God Spirit comes to us to dwell in us, our minds are opened up to new and different and deep dimensions of truth and experience that are unknown without the Spirit of God. It's sort of like a third dimension for someone who's living in two the Spirit of God opens up a reality of truth and discernment that clears the air of all the clutter. The Spirit comes alongside us to direct us and to enlighten us, to, to empower us in, in ways of being loving and protecting and ennobling. So instead of rumbling through life, doing life the way we've always done it, the old way, with my mind obscured with delusions and misconceptions that infect me and infect this place, instead of living to please myself, instead of living to satisfy my own self-centered desires, the Holy Spirit brings the thoughts of God into my heart, into my life. The Holy Spirit brings a new depth and dimension of the kingdom of God, the kingdom now, eternal realities, saving truths, It changed my heart and changed my mind. And all of a sudden I become gospel-driven, Spirit of God-inspired, instead of being propelled by just ordinary stuff going on inside and around me. The picture Paul is painting here, comparing a a human life directed and, and a life directed and guided by the Holy Spirit, can sort of be compared, this is the kind of a crazy comparison, but can kind of be compared to a tone-deaf person trying to enjoy the Walla Walla Symphony Concert. All that beautiful music is going on, but to them it sounds like nonsense. It's sort of like the tweet I read that was posted by someone whose home had burned to the ground in the 2018 campfire in California. This is what the tweet said. To the annoying person who drove through my neighborhood yesterday AM, honking like a maniac and waking me from a pleasant sleep, thank you. You saved my life. Isn't that something? The warning. It sounded like a horrible horn. It sounded like an unwelcome, unwanted uh, horn coming at the wrong time right during sleep. But that's sort of like the Spirit of God honking, (laughs) a horn warning, alerting me, directing me, guiding me, arousing my interests and my concerns, inspiring me, giving me hope, illuminating dangers that are around me, empowering me to live justly, to do mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Paul says, essentially, the Spirit of God living within us gives us the mind of Christ. Think of that just for a minute. That is just too much for me to even comprehend. We are, by the Spirit of God, united to Christ. I like the way Ellen White says it. Your will becomes His will. Your character is transformed to be like Christ's character. Praise the Lord. By the Holy Spirit's power. Paul says it in Galatians 2 verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I... I well, I'm sorry. I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus living in me. My old self died dead to him. And him now reigning, working, ruling, guiding in me and through me. Ellen White, again in The Desire of Ages, says it so beautifully. By faith in Him, Christ, as personal Savior, the union is formed. The sinner unites his weakness to Christ's strength, his emptiness to Christ's fullness, his frailty to Christ's enduring might. Then he has the mind of Christ. See that? He has the mind of Christ. The humanity of Christ has touched our humanity, and our humanity has touched divinity. Thus, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, man, humanity, becomes a partaker of the divine nature. He is accepted in the beloved. Go back to the the first slide, if you would, on that. There's a two-slide thing, but notice those words. By faith in Him as personal Savior, a union is formed. The sinner unites his weakness. So my weakness becomes Christ's strength. My emptiness becomes Christ's fullness. My frailty becomes Christ's enduring might. Do you want that, friend? That's what I need. By His Spirit. The blessings of good and and power and resolve. Resolve beyond our wildest imaginations and expectations. Await us by God's Spirit. Christ in you. The Holy Spirit received by you reigning in you, within you, brings all of heaven's blessings into your life. Christ in you. My lethargy is changed to excitement. My weakness changed to his strength. When my kids were young and under our roof, one of my favorite cherished things was to tuck them in at night. Sometimes I was there to do the whole thing, to, to just lay down beside them and have prayers with them and sometimes I just had a moment where I came in after they had already gone to sleep and just at their side, over them, prayed for them. And at those moments I would often think, wow, this is my son this is my daughter. This is amazing. And how I yearned, how I hoped and prayed for them. And I remember the time when I thought, you know, God is doing the same for me. When I'm sleeping in bed, He's watching over me. Like a heavenly father. As it says in Psalm 121, he who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Just imagine it. That's what God is saying over you. That's what he's saying over you. He's saying, I love you, Jeff. I love you. Put your name in there. You tuck your precious kids in each night. They're so ever dear to you. But Jeff, while you lay there sleeping, while no one can see you, I'm watching you. That's what God says. My heart is full of love for you. That's what God says. And what your heart feels as you tuck your kids in at night is what my heart feels even more. I'm watching you. I care for you. My heart is full of love for you. That's what God says to us by his spirit. And he wants to come in and reign and rule in your heart and life today. He's promised us his spirit when we believe, when we accept Christ. He comes in, lives and dwells and reigns. If we'll give him that spot, he will. And he'll bring into our lives the most beautiful experience we can ever imagine. Invite him today as we pray. Father in heaven, we're just petitioning you now You're our God. You love us so much. You gave yourself in Jesus Christ who came God in human flesh, lived a perfect life, died a saving death, atoning death, and now reigns and rules and ministers for us. And you've given us, you told us, wait, wait for the Spirit. And you've given the Spirit through Jesus Christ. He's your down payment in our life of what we will receive soon. But today, it's what we have, your power, your strength, your enlightenment, your wisdom, to put our feet where your feet are, to say words that you would have us say, to do life in a way that brings honor and glory to you. So this morning, we're saying yes to you. May we have, by your Spirit, the mind of Christ, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.